Marini's Media. Totally Football Show Summer Special today. Friday night in Lisbon. Got a dammerung as Barca get a hammering. Bayern putting the fear up Barca and then the fumpf, the sex, the seep and unt the act for good measure. We look back on this epic Barca disaster and a Bayern delight and imagine what the score would have been if they'd actually been playing well. Plus, Man City Leon, good luck following that. It's the Toby Football Show Summer Special in association with Paddy Power. Twenty fourteen, the Maracanazo. Here he comes, he scores, and Leicester City have nine. Twenty nineteen, the St Mary's Canazo. What would you call what happened in Lisbon this evening? Humillación histórica del Bayern al Barça. Crisis, incendio, hoguera, lo que quieran. Barça 2, Bayern 8. 2020, 8-2 Bayern Munich over Barcelona. Wow, it was the game of the year, possibly more. And joining us now to look back on all of that, Duncan Alexander. Hey, Duncan. Good evening. Hope you brought some stats. I've got 28. Boom. Also with us, Julien Laurent. Hello, James. Hello, everyone. Wow. Uh, first of all, what an amazing game of football that was. Yeah, it was incredible, James. I think we all kind of knew and thought that Bayern Munich would go through. I think you could you could have looked at this game in in very in all the ways you wanted, how Barca would approach it, what system they would play in. But the answer at the end was always, but they're not just they're just not good enough to beat this Bayern side. However, I don't think any of us could have anticipated such a disaster to be so bad in a night from your attitude to to your key players, to your tactics, to your formation, to the substitutions. I mean, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, really, or was not right, at least. And, you know, this is the, the final eight for Barcelona, I guess. Mm, certainly is. A, a night of history, Duncan. Can you put it into perspective with some numbers for us? Well, it was the first time Barcelona had conceded eight in a game since they lost 8-0 to Sevilla back in 1946. Um you could kind of see this coming a little bit. I mean, as Jules said, I think most people saw that Bayern were going to get through. But the uh, the Barcelona team was the average age was twenty nine years and three hundred twenty nine days. That's the oldest starting eleven they've ever named in a Champions League game, and that just sums up how this team has, has kind of decayed over the last sort of few seasons. You know, they they've become more and more reliant on Messi, and you know, we saw tonight it, half the team was just looking at Messi saying, "Please do something, end end this horror show." But but they can't do it. Eight goals in one game, one Champions League match. What percentage does that represent, Duncan, of their total Champions League goals conceded? 3.1% of all the goals they've ever let in in Champions League history, which uh, which sounds quite a lot, and I can confirm is quite a lot. Yeah. Wow. Extraordinary stuff. And no Spanish representatives in the final four of the Champions League for the first time in 13 years. Wow. Ooh, one mm. other thing on that. It's also the first time since 2005 that neither uh, Messi or Ronaldo's teams, or one of them, has got to the semi-finals. Um, and I think this is finally maybe the season where their kind of dominance of the game really is starting to wane a bit. You know, it, yeah, it took a once-in-a-century pandemic maybe to do it, but you know, we are looking at the new generation almost. Um, and you know, that's 
sad in some ways, but also very exciting in others, I think. Mm. All right. Let's have a little look back on the game and the kind of crazy way that it, it began. Jules, you, you'd need several pods really to cover uh, the opening 20 minutes or so. The early chances for Barcelona, who, as you say, we, we thought were the underdogs, but then it looked like they actually had the measure of Bayern for at least the first two minutes and then Bayern <laughs> popped up with Thomas Muller and, and there they were looking in command. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the thing is, in this game, you knew exactly how Bayern would play. You knew exactly, well, pretty much the team. OK, maybe it was Perisic or Coman on one side, but all the other 10 players, we knew who they were going to be. We knew exactly how they would press, how high they would press, how high the backline would be, where their weaknesses kind of were, and especially defensively with running behind because they were so hard because Alfonso Davies is now a defender and he's improving, but he's not a defender. So then it was down to Barcelona, I guess, to find a way of trying to exploit those and to, to counter the press from Bayern and to then try to exploit the weaknesses that Bayern can have. But again, everybody knew that. And yet, Kike Setien and his players, I guess he's not the only one to blame. Wrong tactics from the beginning. That 4-4-2 is an absolute... It's the most stupid formation to play against this Bayern team. Why, Jules? Why? Because you leave... Well, first, you leave two players up front who don't mm. defend at all, which means that your but, full-backs, especially... But if, you can, but if you've got Suarez and, and Messi who don't defend, then you might as well just leave them up front, no? Isn't that well, the no, thinking? You, well, no. The idea is to have only at least just one of them. OK. For me, Luis Suarez should have never started this game. He's not fit. He stopped running in behind a very, very long time ago. He's the shadow of the player that he was... OK, now and again, he would pop up with a goal or a great goal often. Great goal, because, yeah. Yeah, but he's got that talent, but he's just not good enough anymore and he's not fit enough anymore for this kind of game. It's mm. okay if you play against Leganes, but not against these Bayern sides. And, and again, not again in that position right. when the thing that you need to, you need to do as a, as a striker against Bayern is to run in behind, which he would never do anyway. But for all of that, in those opening exchanges, Barcelona pull one back through that kind of bizarre Alaba-own goal. It looked like Messi had basically he'd worked out the the Bayern back line. He he knew when to trigger the pass and get runners in behind. And there were a couple of chances when it actually looked like Barcelona were going to take take the lead for all their frailties, for all their complete inability to play out from the back and and do any running at the front. Uh, it actually looked like they were going to be able to to do Bayern. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I think the fourth goal was was the concerning one because um, that's the fastest any team's ever gone. Four, you know, considered four goals in a knockout game in Champions League history. But, you know, you, like you say, there were chances for Barcelona. If it had gone to 3-2, we yeah. could have had a kind of a bit of a ding-dong battle. But once it went to 4-1, you know, no, there was no way back. And and for all the issues, that I completely get what you're saying, Jules, but the, the biggest problems were at the back, no? The, the way that their heads just seemed to go. And as the goals started flying in further and further, by the time uh, Muller set up uh, Gnabry for the, the third goal, seemed like it was pretty much over inside Barcelona's heads. Muller then with the the 4-1, which is how the first half ended. And generally at that point, you kind of know that the second half after a, a goal fest in the first 45, it's going to be kind of sitting back. Maybe the, the team that's behind will get one back and a little bit of... And, and they did actually, because your friend Suarez, Jules, with a, yeah. a brilliant touch, made it 4-2. But then Alfonso Davis. Yeah, I mean one of one of the stories of of the season for sure in in European football in, in you know in, in general not just Bayern Munich season, but 
for such a young player to be able to move from his natural position, which was left winger, to a different position and left back. Okay, they, there are similarities. And, and to be there and already be amongst the best left backs in the space of six months is incredible. And I think for me, the, the most striking thing is that he often was facing Nelson Semedo. And I don't think I've seen many as bad performances individually in my whole life as a, as a journalist than Nelson Semedo tonight, who I thought was an absolute disgrace from the first to the 90th minute with, with really one of the worst ever performances because it was so bad, but so bad. I mean, I thought it was just embarrassing. I, if I had been him, I, I would have walked out after an hour and just never never come back and never played football again. It was just it was just that bad. But but again... The Gary Neville against West Brom, as it's known. <laughs> yeah. But again, if you just go back to Kiki Sechen, and again, it's not his own fault, but I mean, Frankie de Jong... If you have one player who can help you beating a press like Bayern Munich, he's this guy. I mean, he's so cool. He's so composed. He's always been... That's what he's been doing at Ajax all his life, playing from the back. Whoever is pressing you, whoever is like running at you, you find a way. And yet you're playing in a position that is... I mean, it's a disgusting position for him. Where is Ricky Puch? Ricky Puch could have been another one that could have helped you to beat that press. And the poor kid never even... Come on, he's been one of your best players since the restart in La Liga and you don't play him in the biggest game of the season. I mean, there were so many things that I didn't get from what they did tonight and, and I think it's a real shame. But it was kind of fun to watch. I mean, of all the moments, was was that Alfonso Davis there on Semedo uh, with all the defensive capabilities of Plato, uh, the uh, your favourite <laughs> bit of the game, Duncan? Well, I think it's we've seen fullbacks become the most important position in football over the last few years, and you know we there was a goal Liverpool scored in the game they lost at City season before last, where um, Trent sort of pinged it across to to Robertson, and you know that kind of interplay between fullbacks is is massive now, and just to see how you know the brilliant run, and then there's Kimmich in there. I mean, just to kind of reiterate how um, expansive Bayern were tonight all eight goals had a different assister. I've never seen that before. Like, eight different assisters in a single a single match. I mean, yeah, they, they looked occasionally shaky at the back, but, you know, they, they're playing so well. They've got 155 goals now, which is already a, a record with, with more games to come. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they are just kind of... They are a team where Barcelona were very much a collection of some individuals and Lionel Messi. And, and through the second half, you could not help but reminding yourself of what Arturo Vidal said the day before the game. And I, I know players have to come up and do press conferences or interviews, but surely you have to think sometimes of what you'd be saying. And for Arturo Vidal to come up and say, you know, we are not, we're not a Bundesliga team, you know, but if Bayern think that we are teams, like, if we are a team like they played against in the Bundesliga, they're so wrong. We've got Messi, we've got great players. And then you lose 8-2 less than 24 hours later. I mean, this just has to be... It has to be one of the worst quotes ever. And but but is it is he as bad as Coutinho coming in and clearly he wanted to do well but not wanting to do well. Clearly he wanted to score but not really wanting to score. He wanted to celebrate but not really wanting to celebrate yeah. against his mates think, and the team that you know still pays half of his wages. It was it was so funny. I, th- the, I think the assist. He was like, well, I've yeah, done an assist. It's, that's fine. <laughs> then he it's scored. Like he was like, no, and that's quite like... bad. And then he scored another one. He was like, oh my god, what have I done? What have I done? Um, but I mean, there's that thing, isn't there, online? A lot of people go, oh, the French league is a farmers league, or the German league is a farmers league. You know, this is the first time since I think '91. Uh, there's no Spanish or Italian teams in the semi-finals. 
And, you know, if, if Lyon beat City, it's going to be two German teams, two French teams. So what does that say about farmers? I, I'm not sure, Duncan. I would like to know what was your what was your favourite bit of the game? I'm going to offer you the Alfonso Davis uh, double, triple shimmy on Semedo. You could have that wonderful looping Goretzka pass for Gnabry. Uh, I don't know. Jules, what did you like most? I think, so I, I like the, the Davis, but again, I think Semedo is such a bad player that it's, it devalues it a little bit. You know what I like a lot? I like the Kimmich cross for the Müller goal. I like the movement from Müller. And I think if you're a young kid watching that game and you see exactly how Müller does long lay on that move by waiting and then just just going ahead and that wonderful cross from Kimmich who can play right back, central midfielder, probably anywhere else on the pitch. But I go for Davis because it was it was just so sweet and so humiliating for Semedo. For me, I think it was probably Coutinho's second goal because it was Bayern's last shot of the game, which actually meant that uh, Barcelona conceded 26 shots, which was more than Bournemouth had in any of their Premier League games this season. The most shots Bournemouth conceded in a Premier League game this season was 25, and, uh, and, and Bayern had 26. Bayern, in fact, had more uh, goals than Barcelona had shots tonight, which that's not <laughs> going to happen very often. All right. Well... Maybe Barn will do that in the semi-final because they look pretty unstoppable. Let's get uh, the impressions of a man who knows them all too well, Raphael Honigstein. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, take out a 30-day trial to see their unrivaled coverage of each and every Premier League club by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. Incredible stuff from Bayern Munich. Uh, let's hear if he's still got a voice from Raphael Honigstein. Rafa, how was that for you? It was very pleasant, I must uh, admit. Um, not the game I expected, not the scoreline I expected. Um, one or two wobbly moments for Bayern as well in the first half. Right. But I don't think anyone could, anticip- could anticipate Barcelona co- completely collapsing to the, to the extent that it did in the second, especially. OK, you uh, tweeted in the first half. Funny thing is Bayern aren't actually playing that well. They were, I think, 3 or 4-1 up against Barcelona at this point but you make the point the high line very vulnerable problems ahead of Davis but Barcelona with the pressing resistance of a Burata nice uh, do you stand by that do you not think basically they're unstoppable no I think you have to stand by that because today they were playing against a Barca side that didn't have that much pace uh, Barca had very little width they played with four midfielders in, in midfield uh, no wingers uh, they had Suarez and, and Messi and it actually played into Bayern's hands. The, the few times they got behind them, Bayern usually had enough pace t- to get back. And of course, the goal they did concede happened because, well, the first one with Alaba arrived just a fraction late. And then the, um, the Luis Suarez one came from the midfield, not working back quickly enough. And um, I mean, perhaps I'm slightly influenced by the fact that I was watching a game next to Jamie Carragher, who was really having a big problem with this high line as a defender saying where where's the midfield why are we so high why are they so high <laughs> and maybe it it affected my judgment a little bit but he did make the point which i think is a salient one that uh, the likes of Raheem sterling possibly and maybe then later on uh, mbappe would would create different kind of problems um, so it is risky but of course it is also the flip side to this amazing pressing which Barca just couldn't deal with. The high line enables the uh, attackers to press this high as well. Mm. Uh, Rafa, it's only the second game back from the the month or so that followed the conclusion of the Bundesliga season. and It kind of feels like they're getting better with every game. 
It does, and I think Thomas Muller made an interesting point afterwards, saying that um, the physical shape of the team is, is perfect. You know, there was a lot of debate in Germany of how the team would, would deal with this month off that they've had, uh, with the Bundesliga coming back early and finishing early. Uh, they had sort of a, a, a kind of summer holiday of a couple of weeks and then a pre-season for two weeks. Um, and then they needed to be on point for, not so much for Chelsea because of the first leg, but certainly for tonight. And if you saw how Bayern was still flooding forward late on in the game and, and Barcelona were completely dead on their feet, you have to say that the physical condition of this Bayern team seems to be perfect. And I think without that, uh, they, you cannot play the kind of intense game that they do. And I think they worked very, very hard to, to arrive in, in Lisbon in, in fantastic condition. And I think that will, more so than the scoreline, will actually give them real confidence that they can go all the way, simply because they look very, very fresh, as you said. OK, well, there are two games now from the title. Semi-final coming up on Wednesday against either Man City or Leon. They prefer Leon, right? I think they would prefer Leon. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't think it would be Leon. I think Manchester City will be too strong. Mm. But, you know, I don't think either City or Leon will, will like playing against the Spine side. I think they have looked like the the best, the most complete team. Yes, they're not in, invincible. Yes, they have vulnerabilities and problems. But I think they've dealt with their problems better and they seem to be able to compensate for their, for their problems quite effectively. So... Um, should be should be hugely exciting whatever happens because this Bayern team do allow you a bit of space but at the same time they throw a lot man forward so I think entertainment is, is guaranteed Raphael Honigstein well, what about the Barcelona perspective then how have they gone so swiftly from Mezquian club to club in a mess Alvaro Romeo over to you Alvaro fresh from that game let's draw some conclusions first of all Setien the man who started the season in a field of cows, likely to be heading back there very, very soon. Yes, and I think that uh, Kike Setien won't continue. Mm, decisions are going to be made by Barcelona's president. And probably one of the first decisions is to sack Kike Setien. Uh, in the next days, uh, the president uh, Bartomeu also has said that it's time to reflect. And I believe that uh, all the options are open now. I wouldn't be surprised either if uh, Bartomeu resigns or he calls elections as well. Uh, a year before um, the original date in 2021. And uh, this is news because he was to name a successor for the next elections. Somebody who could uh, continue his legacy. It looks very bad for Barcelona at the minute. Whoever makes a strong uh, campaign uh, for the next elections uh, is going to run over the next board of Barcelona. I mean, mm. uh, the names of Victor Font, John Laporta has been thrown right. uh, with Xavi as a manager uh, with Victor Font. And I believe that uh, the future of Barcelona is going to be with these guys, yeah, uh, but not with Bartomeu and definitely not with Kike Setien. Right. When they got beaten 3-0 by Juve and crashed out, they probably thought that was rock bottom. Same when they went down 3-0 in the remontada against Roma. And then when Liverpool did them 4-0 last season, that was rock bottom. And now this. How long, realistically, do you think before we see Barcelona getting back on track? Is it How easy a fix is it? It is very difficult. Tremendously difficult. I remember that summer... 2008, Pep Guardiola arrived at Barcelona and he said, I don't want to stay, I don't want to have Ronaldinho, I don't want to have Deco, and I don't have to, I don't want to have Samuel Eto in the squad. And uh, that uh, could be said because Pep Guardiola had uh, 
Lionel Messi, who was 21 years old, uh, a very young Andres Iniesta in the squad, uh, Xavi, and very good players came to the, to the squad that summer. And uh, if Barcelona wants to make a renovation this summer, uh, number one, they don't have any money to do that renovation. So if, they, if you think that they will go for expensive signings, that is not happening. For those big decisions to be made, I'm talking about uh, maybe just giving an exit to Busquets, Luis Suarez, who has been abysmal as well. Uh, you need a person with personality and a person who is well-respected by Camp Nou as well. So uh, that person will be Xavi Hernández in 2021. Xavi is thinking that he doesn't want to make those decisions. Uh, he would prefer somebody else to do those decisions before him. Because, um, yeah, otherwise, if his plan doesn't work, uh, he will be very questioned. So, yeah, the, the summer is going to be really difficult for Barcelona. Uh, I think that the lack of uh, technique in the team is abysmal. I mean, uh, they cannot control the game anymore. Some of the players uh, seem to be playing just because they have a big name behind them, like Luis Suarez is being one of them, for example. And the big problem has been that for many years, the club has been thinking about the players who have won everything rather than about what the team have left to win. I mean, they've been pleasing Messi. They've been pleasing uh, the old guard. Alvaro, do you think um, that is very much a kind of cautionary tale of what happens when you have probably the greatest footballer in football history and you just take your eye off the ball? I mean, there were 300 million euro signings on the benches tonight for Barcelona, Griezmann and Dembele and Coutinho, and one of them was obviously on Bayern's bench. And, you know, their recruitment in the last four or five years has been so kind of wayward and, you know, just spending money when on people that didn't improve the team or fit into the team, that everything's just kind of, you know, come home to roost now. And you are totally, totally right, Duncan. I think that, uh, number one, this is a message um, for the rest of clubs who are going to be successful in the next years, uh, one of them being Liverpool. At some point, they are going to get old, and it's very difficult to get rid of them. Managing their exit is always complicated. And think that Real Madrid and Barcelona, they've been going through that in different grades. And uh, I believe as well that uh, Barcelona has spent all that money. As you said, Antoine Griezmann, Dembélé, Coutinho, uh, they are all basically panic signings. Uh, to replace Neymar and maybe what uh, this board should have done was uh, trying to engage Neymar, seduce uh, the player to stay at Barcelona because PSG came and paid for the release close but I still believe that there was a chance that Barcelona could have kept a player like Neymar offering him like a, a little bit of affection. I believe that uh, Abidal is not qualified, Bartomeu doesn't have the money. I think that the, the first message or the first hint of this was in Winter 2016, after the, the ban that Barcelona had uh, to sign players uh, in summer 2015, they went to the market, uh, Andoni Zubizarreta, the man who created this kind of successful squad in 2014, they went to the market without Zubizarreta, with the new sporting director, who was a man that didn't do a good job, and they went for Arda Turan and Alex Vidal, after not being able to sign for one summer, you know what I mean? Uh, those weren't the players that Barcelona needed, and they've been doing the same mistakes again and again and again with different sporting directors. And uh, it's very difficult to believe that they are going to sign the new players with no money, you know, for the next season. No, well, at least they've got Miralem Pjanic coming in to kind of freshen up the squad. The squad <laughs> He'll lower the bit. average age a bit. That's, that's yeah. good. My word, Alvaro. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. That must have been a difficult watch for you and many uh, Spanish football fans. But, uh, you know, Southampton came back. So, ha, Ralph Hasselnhuttle. That's the message to the uh, folks there. 
178 million euros on Danny Ings is incoming. <laughs> Alvaro Romeo, and I see now actually that, uh, not sure if this is official yet from the club, but it looks like Setien will be going on this Friday evening. By the time you hear this, listener, I imagine that will have happened. More unwelcome news for Barcelona. I'm not short of it. Samuel Antiti has tested positive for COVID-19. That's the second positive test they've had at Barcelona in the last few days, with Jean-Claire Todibo being the other. Neither of them, of course, with the squad in Lisbon. Their exit means that Bayern Munich are the only team left in the competition who've actually won the Champions League or European Cup before. Who are they going to be facing? We'll be talking about Saturday's quarterfinal very shortly. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keeper's let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. This is the Totally Summer Special by the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Saturday in the Champions League, a small plucky underdog takes on a sovereign well-fund-backed beer moth. Well, hang on, haven't we done this before? Yes, it's true, we have. But for those morning Atalanta's exit at the hands of PSG, good news, because there is still one last hope for the little guys, and it's Leon who are going to be facing Man City. It's a clash. Most folk give them as much chance of passing as an 18-year-old with the government's exam algorithm. But shortly, we'll be hearing why that impression may be a wrong one. First, though, let's get the Man City perspective from the man who covers them for The Athletic, Sam Lee. Sam, uh, Manchester City, the last to go in the quarterfinals, so that the tension's been building all week. Yeah, it has. Although, I think the tension was kind of getting towards the Madrid game and not really knowing how City were going to approach that. You know, so many of their Premier League games at the end of the season were kind of exhibitions. Madrid had been playing for the league title in Spain, um, so they were on it. And I think the tension was, oh God, what if what if City throw away that 2-1 first leg advantage? But since then, I think it's kind of been a more positive atmosphere around City. Certainly the camp of players in, in Portugal, they seem very relaxed and very happy. I think the fact that it's Leon, you know, without you know avoiding all the disrespectful comments you could make you know it, it could have been harder and mm. people aren't so much worried about that and I think now people are seeing it as a really good opportunity to to go and do something so I'm sure I'm sure they're keen to get the game out of the way I'm, I'm, I'm sure uh, you were presumably at the Etihad last season when Leon beat Man City there yeah funny to say last season because it was almost two full calendar years ago but yeah and I, I was in Leon as well and I think arguably they played better in France, Leon did, than they did in Manchester, but obviously they only got a draw. But yeah, they were. My, well, my abiding memory of the both games is from the second game when it was late in the game. It wasn't like Leon were chasing it, but they left five men forward on the halfway line waiting to to counter attack. And you must have thought Guardiola would be on the bench thinking, I've not seen this very often against my team, certainly not in the Premier League. And they gave him a lot to think about, but obviously now it's a different coach, a few different players. And I think a lot of people have expected a more defensive outlook, which at the same time, could probably cause City problems because we've seen a lot of times this season they've not been so good at breaking teams down. Yeah, fair point. 
So different Leon, uh, but same old Pep Guardiola. He's he's made comments about, I mean, he recognises the fact that it's about the Champions League, his job, and he, he's called the idea of leaving Man City without bringing that title in, uh, representing a, a failure. Having been knocked out at this stage in the last two seasons, do you see maybe in the Real Madrid game a different City? I do, actually. I do. Um, and for a long time, certainly last season, I partly because of those Leon games. I didn't think they were ready to win it. Um, I've, I'm changing my mind now. I think we saw in that Real Madrid game, both of them, they used a bit more of, a bit more nous, I think. They were a lot more closed. We think of the City team being very open. You know, they can concede from counter-attacks or as we even saw in the Bernabeu, they give the ball in the way in their own half once and Madrid scored their goal. But they, they work now to try to avoid those situations. I think they're a lot more clever in Europe now and it actually goes back to the first leg at Tottenham last year unfortunately for City they lost but they went there to play a tight game keep it compact and not concede the kind of stupid goals they had done previously in the Champions League they've took that into this season particularly the Real Madrid games and that's why I'm kind of thinking now things are different and yeah if they can get past Leon and their kind of more defensive outlook against Bayern Munich I think it'll be, or, or indeed Barcelona but I think it'll be Bayern Munich I don't know I can see City I can see City coming up with something. I can see Guardiola coming up with a plan and the players carrying it out. Sam Lee there of The Athletic. Uh, So, Jules, how about Leon? Last of the independents. What a weird season, first of all, they've been having. They start with Silvino. He gets binned in October. They bring in Rudy Garcia, who's massively unpopular. And then the league gets suspended and they get awarded seventh place based on the government's points mechanism. Yes, that's right. They, they certainly believe, and Jean-Michel Olas, especially the, the owner and the president, that had the season finished and had they played those 10 games, or nine games remaining, they would have finished much higher, fourth, maybe even third, and qualifying for the Champions League. However, the season was, was stopped then. So they finished seventh, and for the first time since 1996, they won't be in Europe next season unless they win the Champions League, which I think... It's a very, very long shot, but you never know, I guess. But yeah, it was a tough season from the start, as you said, with Silvino, with Rudy Garcia coming in, and then the atmosphere being so toxic because the fans didn't want him there. But somehow they knocked out Juventus. They, I think the the difficulties and the injuries of Memphis Depay as well at, in mid-December, I think have made that team, the adversity have made that team more of a team, really. We played with a lot of heart. We saw that against Juventus in both games where they defended so well. They played with a lot of spirit, a lot of togetherness and and still have enough talent in midfield, especially and up front, to, to cause problems to a lot of bigger teams. So they certainly hope that it will be the same tomorrow. They certainly believe they can cause an, another upset. And like Sam said, you know, they, they did it before as well last season. OK, they had a different manager and Fekir and Dombele and Mendy were there and they're not anymore. But they have other players who could also cause problems to Man City, especially defensively. So... They would believe they have no pressure. They believe all the pressure is on Guardiola and the players. They also hope in a way that City will take them a bit lightly and maybe will take a bit for granted that they will already be in the semi-final even before playing the game. Uh, but they will go there, yeah, with, with nothing to lose at all. And I think that's probably the best position you could be in a Champions League quarterfinal, having no pressure. No one expected you to be there. You go, you've got someone in Memphis Depay who should have never been playing this game and yet he's there with the captain armband and can do something special. You've got three very young midfielders in Bruno Guimaraes, Maxence Cacré and Usamawa who are full of talent and very mature for their age who can also 
help Lyon to go through. So they will go there. And I, and I think, go for it. I, I still think City will go through. But I think that if you think it would be an easy game for City, I, I, I don't think so. They will play with five at the back, Lyon. They will be very well disciplined, very well drilled. They will be hard to break down. And OK, if City score early, then you could easily see two, three, four, five. If Sterling is more efficient than he was against Real Madrid, it's the same. But I also can see a bit of frustration from City if they can't break them down, if they can't score early and and if Lyon can exploit some of their defensive mistakes like they did a year ago, then you don't know what can happen. It's interesting as well that the five months that uh, Lyon had off, coming back, taking PSG to penalties in the cup final in, in, in France and then doing Juve, it does seem like the long layoff, rather than making teams rusty, has actually benefited them. And maybe this applies to the Bundesliga sides as well, who had, had a month or so. You're right, I think so. And certainly the Parisians said towards the end of the game, and, and same with Lyon against Juve, the Lyon players said we could have run more. And the PSG players certainly felt that they were physically ahead of Atalanta. And it's true that Atalanta played so many games, like like all Italian clubs and, and Spanish clubs as well. And then maybe for all the, the questions that we had before the final eight, as you said, saying like, oh, who will benefit the most? Is it better to to have not played again like in France or to have played and finished early on June the 30th for the Bundesliga but then having almost six weeks before the Champions League come back or is it better to do like the Italians and go straight into the Champions League and clearly it seems that like you said having a bit of a break or even a longer break was better. I agree but I also think City probably in a unique situation uh, compared to all the other teams in that you know they came back they, they knew the league was gone they had a chance to experiment. I think the big, big thing that's happened for City since uh, lockdown ended was that Phil Foden has gone from a kind of, you know, an option off the bench when they were winning three or four nil to like a really integral part of the team. You know, his relationship with Kevin De Bruyne is is brilliant now. You know, and De Bruyne is finding him a lot during games. You know, he scored five goals uh, in the Premier League in lockdown, um, and I think he's kind of now become one of their key players. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm expecting big things for him in the remainder of this tournament. Do we think he will start? On Saturday, really, surely, he, if, if you think about it, he should, whether he plays as a force number nine or a bit deeper or wide or something, but it would be really harsh to drop him after the game he had against Real Madrid. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's played pretty much everywhere across the front three uh, since they came back and he's been good in all those positions. Um, I think he's, he probably won't play the 90 minutes or the 120 minutes, but he, um, I think he'll start, yeah. OK, well, that quarterfinal coming up later on today, Saturday, and uh, should be a sizzler. We've got a little bit more to talk to you about with Jules and Duncan. Uh, that William to Arsenal deal being confirmed, for example. We'll do that after we hear from Lee Price of Paddy Power. Thanks, Jimbo. Hello again, listeners. The final eight become the final four. A sequel is hotly anticipated as Fast and Furious 21 or whatever they're up to now. Um, there isn't really a way to dress this one up. Man City are the favourites to win the entire competition, so therefore, overwhelmingly odds-on to beat Leon. It's 1-4 to four that Pep's men win this game. For context, that's the shortest price of any of this week's European clashes, including the Europa League. Uh, it's a lengthy 9-1 to one that the French side get a shock win, but even the draw after 90 minutes looks remote. That's priced at 5-1. to one. City, we think, will have their eyes on the prize. They're 21-10 to 10 to win the tournament outright at the time of recording. We think they're most likely to meet PSG in the final. A bold call, I know, but someone's got to make it. 
You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Anton Tuloy, friend of the show, says, I wonder what you wait for thinking. After what we've seen over the last few nights, turning the end of the European campaign into an American-style playoff after a domestic league's finish could be incredible viewing and exceptionally lucrative as they dominate TV. I believe that more and more people every day are beginning to kind of nurse this idea at the back of their minds. I don't know if the people in the corridors of power feel that way, though. Jules, what's your impression? I don't know. I mean, if I was them, um, I'd be very happy about the way things have gone. And I think it's very exciting. This is really what the European Cup was about before, right? A long, long time ago. But when they created it, that's, that was the idea. Then, obviously, the more games you played... Uh, in group stages and, and over two legs in the knockout stages, the more money you make. And I, and I understand that. But I mean, I would love it if they kept that formula for seasons to come. You wouldn't have it. I still think there's something very nice about your fans traveling somewhere and not everybody being in the same city. Even if you have fans allowed again next year, I still think there's something nice about, you know, going to a stadium. And, and even if that's so, if you're the away side, I still think that's nice, but I very, very much like the idea of having just one game, having football, you know, like four quarterfinals over four days. Uh, I think it's, it's great as well. So let's see what they do. But if you know UEFA, you would think that that would also mean less money and I'm not sure they're going to go for that. Although Anton's point is that it could be so successful that the, the rights would just go up in value. Sorry, Duncan. Well, I think firstly, it feels very much like what a World Cup would be like if you could sign players and actually coach them properly. Um, you know, this is like one-off games in a tournament, but the teams are really, really good. And I also thought tonight, watching Bayern, do you remember, obviously the Bundesliga was the first league back and everyone was like, oh, it's not the same, That you know, the atmosphere's not there and oh, I can't get into it. And then, you know, a few months down, I mean, there can't have been anyone on the planet who watched that game tonight that didn't get caught up in the emotion and the excitement. You know, yeah, it, we People have got used to football as it is in 2020, and that was a great game. Mm. All right. Now, oh, I mentioned Arsenal uh, signing William. That's not confirmed, I believe, on a three-year deal. His contract had expired, of course, at Chelsea. He's 32 years of age, just had his most productive season at Chelsea, but he is slightly older than the fellow they just spent the week fretting about being there for one more year, Mesut Ozil, and uh, William's got three. Uh are we okay with that? It's a lot. Muddy Knees Media. Totally Football Show Summer Special today. Friday night in Lisbon. Got a dammerung as Barca get a hammering. Bayern putting the fear up Barca and then the fumph, the sex, the seep and unt the act for good measure. We look back on this epic Barca disaster and a Bayern delight and imagine what the score would have been if they'd actually been playing well. Plus, Man City Leon, good luck following that. It's the Toby Football Show Summer Special in association with Paddy Power. Twenty fourteen, the Maracanazo. Here he comes, he scores, and Leicester City have nine. Twenty nineteen, the St Mary's Canazo. What would you call what happened in Lisbon this evening? Humillación histórica del Bayern al Barça. Crisis, incendio, hoguera, lo que quieran. 
Barça 2, Bayern 8. 2020, 8-2 Bayern Munich over Barcelona. Wow, it was the game of the year, possibly more. And joining us now to look back on all of that, Duncan Alexander. Hey, Duncan. Good evening. Hope you brought some stats. I've got 28. Boom. Also with us, Julien Laurent. Hello, James. Hello, everyone. Wow. Uh, first of all, what an amazing game of football that was. Yeah, it was incredible, James. I think we all kind of knew and thought that Bayern Munich would go through. I think you could you could have looked at this game in, in, very, in all the ways you wanted, how Barca would approach it, what system they would play in. But the answer at the end was always... But they're not just they're just not good enough to beat this Bayern side. However, I don't think any of us could have anticipated such a disaster to be so bad in a night from your attitude to to your key players, to your tactics, to your formation, to the substitutions. I mean everything that could have gone wrong went wrong really, or was not right at least. And you know, this is the, the final eight for Barcelona, I guess. Mm, certainly is. A, a night of history. Duncan, can you put it into perspective with some numbers for us? Well, it was the first time Barca had conceded eight in a game since they lost 8-0 to Sevilla back in 1946. Um, you could kind of see this coming a little bit. I mean, as Jules said, I think most people saw that Bayern were going to get through. But the uh, the Barcelona team, was the average age was 29 years and 329 days. That's the oldest starting eleven they've ever named in a Champions League game. And that just sums up how this team has... It's kind of decayed over the last sort of few seasons. You know, they they've become more and more reliant on Messi, and you know we saw tonight half the team was just looking at Messi, saying, "Please do something, end end this horror show." But but they can't do it. Eight goals in one game, one Champions League match. What percentage does that represent, Duncan, of their total Champions League goals conceded? Three point one percent of all the goals they've ever let in in Champions League history, which uh, which sounds quite a lot, and I can confirm is quite a lot. Yeah. Wow. Extraordinary stuff. And no Spanish representatives in the final four of the Champions League for the first time in 13 years. Wow. One Mm. other thing on that. It's also the first time since 2005 that neither uh, Messi or Ronaldo's teams, or one of them, has got to the semifinals. Um, And I think this is finally maybe the season where their kind of dominance of the game really is starting to wane a bit. You know, yeah, it took a once-in-a-century pandemic maybe to do it. But, you know, we are looking at the new generation almost. Um, and, you know, that's sad in some ways, but also very exciting in others, I think. Mm. All right. Let's have a little look back on the game and the kind of crazy way that it, it began. Jules, you, you'd need several pods, really, to cover uh, the opening 20 minutes or so. The early chances for Barcelona, who, as you say, we, we thought were the underdogs, but then it looked like they actually had the measure of Bayern for at least the first two minutes and then Bayern <laughs> popped up with Thomas Muller and, and there they were looking in command. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the thing is, in this game, you knew exactly how Bayern would play. You knew exactly, well, pretty much the team. Okay, maybe it was Perisic or Coman on one side, but all the other 10 players, we knew who they were going to be. We knew exactly how they would press, how high they would press, how high the back line would be, where their weaknesses kind of were and especially defensively with running behind because they were so hard because Alfonso Davies is not a defender and he's improving but he's not a defender 
so then it was down to Barcelona, I guess, to find a way of trying to exploit those and to, to counter the press from Bayern and to then try to exploit the weaknesses that Bayern can have. But again, everybody knew that. And yet, Kike Setien and his players, I guess he's not the only one to blame. Wrong tactics from the beginning. That 4-4-2 is an absolute... It's the most stupid formation to play against this Bayern team. Why, Jules? Why? Because you leave... Well, first you leave two players up front who don't mm. defend at all, which means that your but, full-backs, especially... But if, you could, but if you've got Suarez and, and Messi who don't defend, then you might as well just leave them up front, no? Isn't that well, the no, thinking? You, well, no, the idea is to have only at least just one of them. Okay. For me, Luis Suarez should have never started this game. He's not fit. He stopped running in behind a very, very long time ago. He's the shadow of the player that he was. Okay, now and again, he would pop up with a goal or a great goal often. Great goal, because, yeah. Yeah, but he's got that talent. But he's just not good enough anymore and he's not fit enough anymore for this kind of game. It's mm. okay if you play against Leganes, but not against these Bayern sides. And, and again, not again in that position right. when the thing that you need to, you need to do as a, as a striker against Bayern is to run in behind, which he would never do anyway. But for all of that, in those opening exchanges, Barcelona pulled one back through that kind of bizarre Labarón goal. It looked like Messi had basically he'd worked out the the Bayern back line. He he knew when to trigger the pass and get runners in behind. And there were a couple of chances when it actually looked like Barcelona were going to take take the lead for all their frailties, for all their complete inability to play out from the back and and do any running at the front. Uh, it actually looked like they were going to be able to to do Bayern. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I think the fourth goal was was the concerning one because um, that's the fastest any team's ever gone for you know considered four goals in a knockout game in Champions League history. But you know, you, like you say, there were chances. But if it had gone to three two, we yeah. could have had a kind of a bit of a ding dong battle. But once it went to four one, you know, no, there was no way back. And and for all the issues that I completely get what you're saying. Jules, but the biggest problems were at the back, no? The, the way that their heads just seemed to go and as the goals started flying in further and further, by the time uh, Muller set up uh, Gnabry for the, the third goal, seemed like it was pretty much over inside Barcelona's heads. Muller then with the, the 4-1, which is how the first half ended. And generally at that point, you kind of know that the second half after a, a goal fest in the first 45, it's going to be kind of sitting back. Maybe the, the team that's behind will get one back and... A little bit of, and and they did actually because your friend Suarez, Jules, with a, yeah. a brilliant touch, made it four two, but then Alfonso Davis. Yeah, I mean one of one of the stories of of the season for sure in in European football in in you know in, in general not just Bayern Munich season, but for such a young player to be able to move from his natural position, which was left winger to a different position at left back. Okay, they, there are similarities. And, and to be there and already be amongst the best left backs in the space of six months is incredible. And I think for me, the, the most striking thing is that he often was facing Nelson Semedo. And I don't think I've seen many as bad performances individually in my whole life as a, as a journalist than Nelson Semedo tonight, who I thought was an absolute disgrace from the first to the 90th minute with, with really one of the worst ever performances because it was so bad, but so bad. I mean, I thought it was just embarrassing. I, if I had been him, I, I would have walked out after an hour and just never never come back and never played football again. It was just it was just that bad. But, but again... The Gary Neville against West Brom, as it's known. <laughs> yeah. But again, if you just go back to Kikisetien, and again, it's not his own fault, but I mean, Frankie de Jong 
if you have one player who can help you beating a press like Bayern Munich, he's this guy. I mean, he's so cool. He's so composed. He's always been... That's what he's been doing at Ajax all his life, playing from the back. Whoever is pressing you, whoever is like running at you, you find a way. And yet you're playing in a position that is... I mean, it's a disgusting position for him. Where is Ricky Puch? Ricky Puch could have been another one that could have helped you to beat that press. And the poor kid never even come on. He's been one of your best players since the restart in La Liga and you don't play him in the biggest game of the season. I mean, there were so many things that I didn't get from what they did tonight. And, and I think it's a real shame. But it was kind of fun to watch. I mean, of all the moments, was, was that Alfonso Davis there on Semedo uh, with all the defensive capabilities of Play-Doh, uh, the, uh, your favourite <laughs> bit of the game, Duncan? Well, I think it's we've seen fullbacks become the most important position in football over the last few years. And, you know, we there was a goal Liverpool scored in the game they lost at City season before last where um, Trent sort of pinged it across to, to Robertson. And, you know, that kind of interplay between fullbacks is, is massive now. And just to see, how, you know, the brilliant run and then there's Kimmich in there. I mean, just to kind of reiterate how um, expansive Bayern were tonight, all eight goals had a different assister. I've never seen that before. Like eight different assisters in a single a single match. I mean, yeah, they, they looked occasionally shaky at the back, but you know, they they're playing so well. They've got 155 goals now, which is already a, a record with, with more games to come. Um yeah, I mean they they are just kind of they they are a team where Barcelona were very much a collection of some individuals and Lionel Messi. And and through the second half you could not help but reminding yourself of what Arturo Vidal said the day before the game. And I, I know players have to come up and do press conferences or interviews, but surely you have to think sometimes of what you'd be saying. And for Arturo Vidal to come up and say, you know, we are not, we're not a Bundesliga team. You know, but if Bayern think that we are teams, like, if we are a team like they played against in the Bundesliga, they're so wrong. We've got Messi, we've got great players. And then you lose 8-2 less than 24 hours later. I mean, this just has to be... He has to be one of the worst quotes ever. And but but is he is he as bad as Coutinho coming in and clearly he wanted to do well but not wanting to do well. Clearly he wanted to score but not really wanting to score. He wanted to celebrate but not really wanting to celebrate yeah. against his mates think, and the team that you know still pays half of his wages. It was it was so funny. I, th- the, I think the assist. He was like, well, I've yeah, done an assist. It's, that's fine. Then he <laughs> scored. Like, he was like, no, nah, that's quite like... bad. And then he scored another one. He was like, oh my god, what have I done? What have I done? Um, but I mean, there's that thing, isn't there, online? A lot of people go, oh, the French league is a farmers league, or the German league is a farmers league. You know, this is the first time since I think '91. Uh, there's no Spanish or Italian teams in the semi-finals, and you know, if Lyon beat City, it's going to be two German teams, two French teams. So, what does that say about farmers? I, I'm not sure, Duncan. I would like to know what was your what was your favourite bit of the game. I'm going to offer you. The Alfonso Davis uh, double, triple shimmy on Semedo. You could have that wonderful looping Goretzka pass for Gnabry. Uh, I don't know. Jules, what did you like most? I think, so I, I like the, the Davis, but again, I think Semedo is such a bad player that it's, it devalues it a little bit. You know what I like a lot? I like the Kimmich cross for the Müller goal. I like the movement from Müller. And I think if you're a young kid watching that game and you see exactly how Müller does Longley on that move by waiting and then just just going ahead and that wonderful cross from Kimmich who can play right back central midfielder probably anywhere else on the pitch but I go for Davis because it was it was just so sweet and so humiliating for Semedo 
For me, I think it was probably Coutinho's second goal because it was Bayern's last shot of the game, which actually meant that uh, Barcelona conceded 26 shots, which was more than Bournemouth had in any of their Premier League games this season. The most shots Bournemouth conceded in a Premier League game this season was 25, and uh, and, and Bayern had 26. Bayern, in fact, had more uh, goals than Barcelona had shots tonight, which that's not <laughs> going to happen very often. All right. Well... Maybe Bayern will do that in the semi-final because they look pretty unstoppable. Let's get uh, the impressions of a man who knows them all too well, Raphael Honigstein. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, take out a 30-day trial to see their unrivaled coverage of each and every Premier League club by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. Incredible stuff from Bayern Munich. Uh, let's hear if he's still got a voice from Raphael Honigstein. Rafa, how was that for you? It was very pleasant, I must uh, admit. Um, Not the game I expected, not the scoreline I expected. Um, One or two wobbly moments for Bayern as well in the first half. But I don't think anyone could anticipate Barcelona completely collapsing to the the extent that they did in the second, especially. Okay, you uh, tweeted in the first half, funny thing is Bayern aren't actually playing that well. They were, I think, three or four one up against Barcelona at this point, but you make the point, the high line, very vulnerable, problems ahead of Davis, but Barcelona with the pressing resistance of a Borata, nice. Uh, do you stand by that? Do you not think, basically, they're unstoppable? No, I think you have to stand by that because today they were playing against a Barca side that didn't have that much pace. Uh, Barca had very little width. They played with four midfielders in, in midfield, uh, no wingers. Uh, they had Suarez and, and Messi. And it actually played into Bayern's hands. The, the few times they got behind them, Bayern usually had enough pace to, to get back. And of course, the goal they did concede happened because, well, the first one with Alaba arrived just a fraction late. And then the, um, the Luis Suarez one came from the midfield, not working back quickly enough. And um, I mean, perhaps I'm slightly influenced by the fact that I was watching the game next to Jamie Carragher, who was really having a big problem with this high line as a defender saying, where, where's the midfield? Why are we so high? Why are they so high? <laughs> and maybe it, it affected my judgment a little bit, but he did make the point, which I think is a salient one, that uh, the likes of Raheem Sterling, possibly, and maybe then later on uh, Mbappe would, would create different kind of problems. Um, so it is risky, but of course it is also the flip side to this amazing pressing, which Barca just couldn't deal with. The high line enables the uh, attackers to press this high as well. Mm. Uh, Rafa, it's only the second game back from the, the month or so that followed the conclusion of the Bundesliga season. And it kind of feels like they're getting better with every game. It does, and I think... Thomas Müller made an interesting point afterwards saying that um, the physical shape of the team is is perfect. You know, there was a lot of debate in Germany of how the team would would deal with this month off that they've had uh, with the Bundesliga coming back early and finishing early. Uh, They had sort of a a, a kind of summer holiday of a couple of weeks and then a pre-season for two weeks. Um, And then they needed to be on point for... Not so much for Chelsea because of the first act, but certainly for tonight. And if you saw how Bayern was still flooding forward late on in the game and, and Barcelona were completely dead on their feet, you have to say that the physical condition of this Bayern team seems to be perfect. And I think without that, uh, they, you cannot play the kind of intense game that they do. And I think they worked very, very hard to, to arrive in, in Lisbon in, in fantastic condition. And I think that will, more so than the scoreline, 
will actually give them real confidence that they can go all the way simply because they look very, very fresh, as you said. OK, well, there are two games now from the title. Semi-final coming up on Wednesday against either Man City or Leon. They prefer Leon, right? I think they would prefer Leon. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't think it would be Leon. I think Manchester City will be too strong. Mm. But, you know, I don't think either City or Leon will, will like playing against the Spine side. I think they have looked like the the best, the most complete team. Yes, they're not in, invincible. Yes, they have vulnerabilities and problems. But I think they've dealt with their problems better. And they seem to be able to compensate for their for their problems quite effectively. So um should be should be hugely exciting, whatever happens, because this Bayern team do allow you a bit of space, but at the same time they throw a lot of men forward. So I think entertainment is, is guaranteed. Raphael Honigstein, what about the Barcelona perspective then? How have they gone so swiftly from Mezquian Club to Club in a Mess? Alvaro Romeo, over to you. Alvaro. Fresh from that game, let's draw some conclusions. First of all, Setien, the man who started the season in a field of cows, likely to be heading back there very, very soon. Yes, and I think that uh, Kike Setien won't continue. Mm, decisions are going to be made by Barcelona's president. And probably one of the first decisions is to sack Kike Setien. Uh, in the next days, uh, the president uh, Bartomeu also has said that it's time to reflect. And I believe that uh, all the options are open now. I wouldn't be surprised either if uh, Bartomeu resigns or he calls elections as well uh, a year before um, the original date in 2021. And uh, this is news because he was to name a successor for the next elections, somebody who could uh, continue his legacy. It looks very bad for Barcelona at the minute. Whoever makes a strong uh, campaign uh, for the next elections uh, is going to run over the next board of Barcelona. I mean, mm. uh, the names of Victor Font, John Laporta has been thrown right. uh, with Xavi as a manager uh, with Victor Font. And I believe that uh, the future of Barcelona is going to be with these guys, yeah, uh, but not with Bartomeu and definitely not with Kike Setien. Right. When they got beaten 3-0 by Juve and crashed out, they probably thought that was rock bottom. Same when they went down 3-0 in the remontada against Roma. And then when Liverpool did them 4-0 last season, that was rock bottom. Now this. How long, realistically, do you think before we see Barcelona getting back on track? Is it How easy a fix is it? It is very difficult. Tremendously difficult. I remember that summer 2008, Pep Guardiola arrived at Barcelona and he said, I don't want to stay, I don't want to have Ronaldinho, I don't want to have Deco, and I don't have to, I don't want to have Samuel Eto in the squad. And uh, that uh, could be said because Pep Guardiola had uh, Lionel Messi, who was 21 years old, uh, a very young Andres Iniesta in the squad, uh, Xavi, and very good players came to the, to the squad that summer. And uh, if Barcelona wants to make a renovation this summer, uh, number one, they don't have any money to do that renovation. So if they, if you think that they will go for expensive signings, that is not happening. For those big decisions to be made, I'm talking about uh, maybe just giving an exit to Busquets, Luis Suarez, who has been abysmal as well. Uh, you need a person with personality and a person who is well-respected by Cam Nou as well. So uh, that person will be Xavi Hernández in 2021. Xavi is thinking that he doesn't want to make those decisions. Uh, he would prefer somebody else to do those decisions before him. Because, um, yeah, otherwise, if his plan doesn't work, uh, he will be very questioned. So, yeah, the, the summer is going to be really difficult for Barcelona. Um, 
I think that the lack of uh, technique in the team is abysmal. I mean, uh, they cannot control the game anymore. Some of the players uh, seem to be playing just because they have a big name behind them, like Luis Suarez, who is being one of them, for example. And the big problem has been that for many years, the club has been thinking about the players who have won everything rather than about what the team have left to win. I mean, they've been pleasing Messi. They've been pleasing uh, the old guard. Alvaro, do you think um, that is very much a kind of cautionary tale of what happens when you have probably the greatest footballer in football history and you just take your eye off the ball? I mean, there were 300 million euro signings on the benches tonight for Barcelona, Griezmann and Dembele and Coutinho, and one of them was obviously on Bayern's bench. And, you know, their recruitment in the last four or five years has been so kind of wayward and, you know, just spending money when on people that didn't improve the team or fit into the team, that everything's just kind of, you know, come home to roost now. And you are totally, totally right, Duncan. I think that, uh, number one, this is a message um, for the rest of clubs who are going to be successful in the next years, uh, one of them being Liverpool. At some point, they are going to get old and it's very difficult to get rid of them. Managing their exit is always complicated. And think that Real Madrid and Barcelona, they've been going through that in different grades. And uh, I believe as well that uh, Barcelona has spent all that money. As you said, Antoine Griezmann, Dembélé, Coutinho, uh, they are all basically panic signings uh, to replace Neymar. And maybe what uh, this board should have done was trying to engage Neymar, seduce uh, the player to stay at Barcelona because PSG came and paid for the release close. But I still believe that there was a chance that Barcelona could have kept a player like Neymar, offering him like a, a little bit of affection. I believe that uh, Abidal is not qualified, Bartomeu doesn't have the money. I think that the, the first message or the first hint of this was in winter 2016 after the, the ban that Barcelona had uh, to sign players uh, in summer 2015, they went to the market, uh, Andoni Zubizarreta, the man who created this kind of successful squad in 2014, they went to the market without Zubizarreta, with the new sporting director, who was a man that didn't do a good job, and they went for Arda Turan and Alex Vidal, after not being able to sign for one summer, you know what I mean? Uh, those weren't the players that Barcelona needed, and they've been doing the same mistakes again and again and again with different sporting directors. And uh, it's very difficult to believe that they are going to sign the new players with no money, you know, for the next season. No, well, at least they've got Miralem Pjanic coming in to kind of freshen up the squad. The squad <laughs> He'll lower the bit. average age a bit. That's, that's yeah. good. My word, Alvaro. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. That must have been a difficult watch for you and many uh, Spanish football fans. But, uh, you know, Southampton came back. So, <laughs> ha, Ralph Hasselnhuttle. That's the message to the uh, folks there. 178 million euros on Danny Ings. is incoming. <laughs> Alvaro Romeo, and I see now actually that, uh, not sure if this is official yet from the club, but it looks like Setien will be going on this Friday evening. By the time you hear this, listener, I imagine that will have happened. More unwelcome news for Barcelona. I'm not short of it. Samuel Antiti has tested positive for COVID-19. That's the second positive test they've had at Barcelona in the last few days, with Jean-Claire Todibo being the other. Neither of them, of course, with the squad in Lisbon. Their exit means that Bayern Munich are the only team left in the competition who've actually won the Champions League or European Cup before. Who are they going to be facing? We'll be talking about Saturday's quarterfinal very shortly. 
everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keepers let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. This is the Totally Summer Special by the Totally Football Show. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Saturday in the Champions League, a small plucky underdog takes on a sovereign wealth fund backed beer moth. Well, hang on, haven't we done this before? Yes, it's true, we have. But for those morning Atalanta's exit at the hands of PSG, good news, because there is still one last hope for the little guys, and it's Leon who are going to be facing Man City. It's a clash. Most folk give them as much chance of passing as an 18-year-old with the government's exam algorithm, but shortly we'll be hearing why that impression may be a wrong one. First, though, let's get the Man City perspective from the man who covers them for The Athletic, Sam Lee. Sam, uh, Manchester City, the last to go in the quarterfinals, so that the tension's been building all week. Yeah, it has, although I think the tension was kind of getting up towards the Madrid game and not really knowing how City were going to approach that. You know, so many of their Premier League games at the end of the season were kind of exhibitions. Madrid had been playing for the league title in Spain, um, so they were on it. And I think the tension was, oh God, what if what if City throw away that 2-1 first leg advantage? But since then, I think it's kind of been a more positive atmosphere around City. Certainly the camp of players in, in Portugal, they seem very relaxed and very happy. I think the fact that it's Leon, you know, without you know avoiding all the disrespectful comments you could make, you know, it, it could have been harder. And mm. people aren't so much worried about that. And I think now people are seeing it as a really good opportunity to to go and do something. So I'm sure. I'm sure they're keen to get the game out of the way. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, you were presumably at the Etihad last season when Leon beat Man City there. Yeah, funny to say last season because it was almost two full calendar years ago. But yeah, and I, I was in Leon as well. And I think arguably they played better in France, Leon did, than they did in Manchester. But obviously they only got a draw. But yeah, they were. My, well, my abiding memory of the both games is from the second game when it was late in the game. It wasn't like Leon were chasing it, but they left five men forward on the halfway line waiting to, to counter-attack. And you must have thought Guardiola would be on the bench thinking, I've not seen this very often against my team, certainly not in the Premier League. And they gave him a lot to think about. But obviously now it's a different coach, a few different players. And I think a lot of people have expected a more defensive outlook, which at the same time could probably cause City problems because we've seen a lot of times this season they've not been so good at breaking teams down. Yeah, fair point. So different Leon, uh, but same old Pep Guardiola. He's He's made comments about, I mean, he recognises the fact that it's about the Champions League, his job. And he's called the idea of leaving Man City without bringing that title in, uh, representing a, a failure. Having been knocked out at this stage in the last two seasons, do you see maybe in the Real Madrid game a different City? I do, actually. I do. Um, and for a long time, certainly last season, I partly because of those Leon games, I didn't think they were ready to win it. Um, I've, I'm changing my mind now. I think we saw in that Real Madrid game, both of them, they used a bit more, a bit more now, so I think. They were a lot more closed we think of the city team being very open you know they can concede from counter attacks or as we even saw in the Bernabeu they give the ball in the way in their own half once and Madrid scored their goal but they they work now to try to avoid those situations I think they're a lot more clever in Europe now and it actually goes back to the first leg at Tottenham last year unfortunately for City they lost 
but they went there to play a tight game, keep it compact, and not concede the kind of stupid goals they had done previously in the Champions League. They've took that into this season, particularly the Real Madrid games, and that's why I'm kind of thinking now things are different, and yeah, if they can get past Leon and their kind of more defensive outlook, Against Bayern Munich, I think it'll be, or, or indeed Barcelona, but I think it'll be Bayern Munich. I don't know. I can see City. I can see City coming up with something. I can see Guardiola coming up with a plan, and the players carrying it out. Sam Lee there of the Athletic. Uh, so Jules, how about Leon? Last of the independents. What a weird season. First of all, they've been having. They start with Silvino. He gets binned in October. They bring in Rudy Garcia who's massively unpopular. And then the league gets suspended and they get awarded seventh place based on the government's points mechanism. Yes, that's right. They they certainly believe, and Jean-Michel Olas, especially the the owner and the president, that had the season finished and had they played those 10 games, nine games remaining, they would have finished much higher, fourth, maybe even third, and qualifying for the Champions League. However... The season was was stopped then, so they finished seven, and for the first time since 1996, they won't be in Europe next season unless they win the Champions League, which I think is a very, very long shot, but you never know, I guess. But yeah, it was a tough season from the start, as you said, with Silvino, with Rudy Garcia coming in, and then the atmosphere being so toxic because the fans didn't want him there. But somehow they knocked out Juventus. They, I think the... The difficulties and the injuries of Memphis Depay as well at, in mid-December, I think have made that team, the adversity have made that team more of a team really, played with a lot of heart. We saw that against Juventus in both games where they defended so well. They played with a lot of spirit, a lot of togetherness and and still have enough talent in midfield, especially and up front to, to cause problems to a lot of bigger teams. So they certainly hope that it will be the same tomorrow. They certainly believe they can cause an, another upset. And like Sam said, you know, they, they did it before as well last season. OK, they had a different manager and Fekir and Dombele and Mendy were there and they're not anymore. But they have other players who could also cause problems to Man City, especially defensively. So... They would believe they have no pressure. They believe all the pressure is on Guardiola and the players. They also hope in a way that City will take them a bit lightly and maybe will take a bit for granted that they will already be in the semi-final even before playing the game. Uh, but they will go there, yeah, with, with nothing to lose at all. And I think that's probably the best position you could be in a Champions League quarterfinal, having no pressure. No one expected you to be there. You go, you've got someone in Memphis Depay who should have never been playing this game. And yet he's there with the captain armband and can do something special. You've got three very young midfielders in Bruno Guimaraes, Maxence Cacré and Usamawa who are full of talent and very mature for their age who can also help Lyon to go through. So they will go there and I, and I think go for it. I, I still think City will go through but I think that if you think it would be an easy game for City, I, I, I don't think so. They will play with five at the back, Lyon. They will be very well disciplined, very well drilled they would be hard to break down. And okay, if City score early, then you could easily see two, three, four, five. If Sterling is more efficient than he was against Real Madrid, it's the same. But I also can see a bit of frustration from City if they can't break them down, if they can't score early and and if Lyon can exploit some of their defensive mistakes like they did a year ago, then you don't know what can happen. It's interesting as well that the five months that uh, Lyon had off coming back taking PSG to penalties in the cup final in, in, in France and then doing Juve, it does seem like the long layoff, rather than making teams rusty, has actually benefited them. And maybe this applies to the Bundesliga sides as well, who had, had a month or so. 
You're right, I think so. And certainly the Parisians said towards the end of the game, and, and same with Lyon against Juve, the Lyon players said we could have run more and the PSG players certainly felt that they were physically ahead of Atalanta. And it's true that Atalanta played so many games, like like all Italian clubs and, and Spanish clubs as well. And then maybe for all the, the questions that we had before the final eight, as you said, saying like, oh, who will benefit the most? Is it better to to have not played again like in France or to have played and finished early on June the 30th for the Bundesliga, but then having almost six weeks before the Champions League come back? Or is it better to do like the Italians and get, go straight into the Champions League? And clearly it seems that, like you said, having a bit of a break or even a longer break was better. I agree. But I also think City are probably in a unique situation uh, compared to all the other teams in that, you know, they came back, they, they knew the league was gone. They had a chance to experiment. I think the big, big thing that's happened for City since uh, lockdown ended was that Phil Foden has gone from a kind of, you know, an option off the bench when they were winning three or four nil to like a really integral part of the team. You know, his relationship with Kevin De Bruyne is is brilliant now. You know, and De Bruyne is finding him a lot during games. You know, he scored five goals uh, in the Premier League in lockdown, um, and I think he's kind of now become one of their key players. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm expecting big things for him in the remainder of this tournament. Do we think he will start? On Saturday, really, surely he, if if you think about it, he should whether he plays as a force number nine or a bit deeper or wide or something. But it would be really harsh to drop him after the game he had against Real Madrid. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's played pretty much everywhere across the front three uh, since they came back, and he's been good in all those positions. Um, I think he's he probably won't play the ninety minutes or the hundred and twenty minutes, but he, um, I think, will start. Yeah. Okay. Well, that quarterfinal coming up later on today, Saturday. And uh, should be a sizzler. We've got a little bit more to talk to you about with Jules and Duncan. Uh, that William to Arsenal deal being confirmed, for example. We'll do that after we hear from Lee Price of Paddy Power. Thanks, Jimbo. Hello again, listeners. The final eight become the final four. A sequel is hotly anticipated as Fast and Furious 21 or whatever they're up to now. Um... There isn't really a way to dress this one up. Man City are the favourites to win the entire competition, so therefore, overwhelmingly odds-on to beat Leon. It's 1-4 to four that Pep's men win this game. For context, that's the shortest price of any of this week's European clashes, including the Europa League. Uh, it's a lengthy 9-1 to one that the French side get a shock win, but even the draw after 90 minutes looks remote. That's priced at 5-1. to one. City, we think, will have their eyes on the prize. They're 21-10 to 10 to win the tournament outright at the time of recording. We think they're most likely to meet PSG in the final. A bold call, I know, but someone's got to make it. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Anton Tuloy, friend of the show, says, I wonder what you wait for thinking. After what we've seen over the last few nights turning the end of the European campaign into an American-style playoff after the domestic league's finish could be incredible viewing and exceptionally lucrative as they dominate TV. I believe that more and more people every day are beginning to kind of nurse this idea at the back of their minds. I don't know if the people in the corridors of power feel that way, though. Jules, what's your impression? I don't know. I mean, if I was them, um, I'd be very happy about the way things have gone, and I think it's very exciting. This is really what the European Cup was about before, right? A long, long time ago, but when they created it, that's, that was the idea. Then, obviously, the more games you played uh, in group stages and, and over two legs in the knockout stages, the more money you make, and I, and I understand that. But, I mean, I would love it if they kept that formula for seasons to come. You wouldn't have it 
I still think there's something very nice about your fans traveling somewhere and not everybody being in the same city, even if you have fans allowed again next year. I still think there's something nice about, you know, going to a stadium and, and even if that's so, if you're the away side, I still think that's nice. But I very, very much like the idea of having just one game, having football, you know, like four quarterfinals over four days. Uh, I think it's, it's great as well. So let's see what they do. But if you know UEFA, you would think that that would also mean less money. And I'm not sure they're going to go for that. Although Anton's point is that it could be so successful that the the rights would just go up in value. Sorry, Duncan. Well, I think firstly, it feels very much like what a World Cup would be like if you could sign players and actually coach them properly. Um, you know, this is like one-off games in a tournament, but the teams are really, really good. And I also thought tonight, watching Bayern, do you remember, obviously the Bundesliga was the first league back and everyone was like, oh, it's not the same, That you know, the atmosphere's not there and oh, I can't get into it. And then, you know, a few months down, I mean, there can't have been anyone on the planet who watched that game tonight that didn't get caught up in the emotion and the excitement. You know, yeah, it, we People have got used to football as it is in 2020, and that was a great game. Mm. All right. Now, oh, I mentioned Arsenal uh, signing William. That's not confirmed, I believe, on a three-year deal. His contract had expired, of course, at Chelsea. He's 32 years of age, just had his most productive season at Chelsea, but he is slightly older than the fellow they just spent the week fretting about being there for one more year, Mesut Ozil, and uh, William's got three. Uh are we okay with that? It's a long contract, isn't it? For a 32-year-old, it's a lot of money. Arteta wanted some experience, um, especially to go along with the younger players in the squad. And, and I think he was very happy, at least in terms of leadership by David Luiz in, in a first season. And that's why they kept David Luiz. I think that's why they're signing William as well, to have the similar impact, uh, at least off the pitch. And, and hoping that on the pitch, he can be the William that we really saw from the restart because the one before the, the lockdown was quite inconsistent, which I think, you know, William has been quite a lot in his career. Some great games at times, so good technically, so much pace as well and, and can really create problems against any defenders and then others where you're hardly seeing him. So it's, it's always a bit of a gamble at that age. I think if you give a three-year deal, we will see how much William can, can bring to that team. But... Mm. Yeah, I'm a, just mm. on on a night when we've been discussing teams collapsing at, under the weight of expensive but very aging players. It's um, yeah, it's a, a, an interesting note, and of course Meza Özil, who says he's quite happy to sit on the the bench as is his right and see out his contract, or not even on the bench but in the stands for the the remainder of his deal, uh, possibly with his face mask over his eyes in comical fashion for the photographers. Duncan, do you have strong thoughts on them sitting it out? Well, I think if you remember, Robert Perez didn't get a new deal at Arsenal when he was 29 or 30 because Wenger had a policy then of not giving long-term yeah. contracts to, to players getting into their 30s, which, you know, Perez was still at his absolute peak, I would say, at that point. Um, you know, we've we've seen Barcelona's woes tonight with having a, an ageing squad. So, But like Jules says, I think with Willian, A, it doesn't look like he's going to slow down anytime soon. And B, he does bring a lot of kind of dressing room nous and, and influence, which I think is is really important at Arsenal. The, the, the kind of the David Luiz defence. Essentially, but not the defending of David Luiz. <laughs> no. Very right. different yeah. things. Right, yeah. <laughs> Very nice. All right, well, uh, Duncan and Julianne, thank you for being with us on this uh, extraordinary evening for us, listener, of uh, 
Champions League action. We have got another quarterfinal coming up on Saturday evening. And of course, we'll be here on Sunday morning to look back on that game and also touch on other things like, for example, uh, the big news for the Lionesses who've announced who will be taking over from Phil Neville and much excitement because it's Serena Wiegmann who has uh, done great things with the Dutch national side. We'll be hearing from Katie White of The Telegraph about that. And there'll probably be loads of other stuff as well. So do tune in on Sunday morning. For now, many, many thanks to Duncan and to Jules and to Alvaro and Raphael Honigstein and you, listener, and producer Charlie. And for now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.